Happy belated birthday. Why, thank you. You're welcome. How was it? It was lovely. Yeah? I mean, I love a good birthday. Who doesn't? Right? It's just, I, I mean, you know this about me very well, but I love a something to mark a starting over or a fresh start. Oh, yeah. So I love that about birthdays. I love that about New Year's. The festival. The festival. There's like a, a, a bit of, of a start. Yeah, clean slate ahead. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's a very big just mental thing. Yeah. Um, it's funny because it somewhat even relates to this panel, but I've been gentle art of Swedish death cleaning mm-hmm. my house. Yep. Uh, in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've spent some time the past couple weeks doing that, which just feels like... A fresh way to go into the new year, the new birthday, new year. birthday year. Yep. Yes. It's funny. Our birthdays are very close together and yet they don't feel that way to me because August 18th and September 11th just feel like such, it's like summer and fall. Yep. And so it's just really interesting to me sometimes where I'm like all our birthday, like Laura's birthday was at the end of all, like all our birthdays are together, but like it's less than a month apart and it is just feels like. It's a whole different season. I mean, we're different signs. <laughs> we're different signs for sure, which I used to think <laughs> that I did. I'm not that into horoscopes. I know a lot of, I know a fair amount about what a Leo is, but hilariously enough, it wasn't until like a couple years ago that I realized like not all birthdays in August are Leo. Like, oh, yeah. But it's not yeah. like September is, are you Virgo? Virgo. Like, you and Laura are both Virgos, yeah. but Laura's birthday's in August. It really hurts my head. And now there are rising moons and rising suns. I don't even know where I to start. I have been told what mine are, but I don't know what they mean. And it shouldn't be stressful, and it's not, but it kind of is. But it can be. It can it be. It can be if you let it, and it's just too much for me. Yes. But I do like when someone reads my star chart. Yes. Whatever it might be, and they say things. I'm like, yeah, that's correct. I like it when that's somebody, exciting. my mom, every once in a while... She only sends me the ones I feel like she already knows applies to what's going on in my life, but sends a horoscope. And it's like, look! And I'm like, that's great. Um, somehow that's probably tied to unscripted. Well, I think an unscripted show, I mean, I know they have lots of medium shows and uh-huh. psychic Tyler shows, but Henry. do they have like horoscope shows or tarot card what reading shows? Be? I don't know, where oh. someone like does a tarot card reading and then... Follows the person follow the person to see, like, how it actually <laughs> applies to their life. I don't know. It might be know. very uninteresting, but... There'd be more of an interesting concept. I don't know how to crack this because I'm not an unscripted producer. But, like, almost like an interactive... Like, it's like the weather. Like, yeah. a reading that is almost the choose-your-own-adventure. Like, if you're this, go here. I don't know. That, like, yes. you learn yep. something from it. Like... A friend this weekend showed me an app that she follows that basically has, like, a thought of the day, and it's, like, with the tarot cards and the horoscopes and, like, all of these things, and, like, it's a very interactive app. Like, I wonder if there's, like, a weekly show that you're, like, you tune into to be, like, this is today's weather report, but it's your horse. (laughs) Like, I don't know. There's something there. I feel that horoscopes and tarot card readings and things like that, to me, just make me more aware yes. of the life I'm living because you're looking for the science and you're yeah. looking how things relate. And so not necessarily trying to pigeonhole things, but it just makes me more aware of the things that I'm going through yeah, and how I think, it can connect and be looked at in a positive way as opposed to just like a prediction of in a, 
in a healthy way, it should be closer to like a therapy thing. Like, what is it going to point out to you? Like a friend at a Christmas party a few years ago had a tarot card reader and I went in and they had me kind of prompt them. Like, what are you struggling with right now? And I was like, oh, um, and I was super vague. I feel like it was like, I'm weighing some things in business and in money. I'm like, that was it. I didn't tell her what I did. I didn't tell her what was going on. And then she read the cards like through that filter. And it was weirdly very helpful in setting your mind towards a thought process, not like telling me what my future was. Yeah. And I think if you approach it like that, like a therapy session of saying like, you know, you shouldn't think about it this way. You should think about it this way. Like look left, look right. Then that's helpful. Now, if you read your horoscope and it's like, Oh, don't go out today. It's raining. <laughs> Terrible things. And you like literally, you make up more literal readings. I think that's probably dangerous. Yes. But I do think that there are some unscripted shows here. Sure. Like making people live them literally. Or a dating show that's like, they'd say like what signs match up, but you're only allowed to date <laughs> I'm sure that people. has to exist, right? Yeah. Does that show not exist somewhere? <laughs> I'm saying it like I, I'm sure we could I mean, look this it up. Is but a it good... feels to me they're like all the pairing shows are... You two should be the perfect match. I do think this is a good transition. So today's podcast is from season 12 of the festival, Unscripted POV, Shaping the Story. Um, And I do think you made a note later that they scripted and unscripted. Unscripted, just like scripted, goes through phases. And apparently dating shows are like not the thing right now. We don't want to talk too much about what they discuss, but they do at one point say dating shows are out. I think they're all on air right now, but I think no one wants to buy a dating show right now because there are... I always find trends really funny. Trends are so funny. Like that that you're buying and selling, like as opposed to is it good? Is it compelling? Is it different? It's like no dating shows right now. In scripted, it'll be like no period pieces, no (laughs) whatever. Um, But I thought, you know, so at the festival, we do more scripted than unscripted. Mm-hmm. We want to do – unscripted is very popular and very vast. So, like, we do want to have more screenings of things this year. We had um, the the bull riding show yep. um, from Amazon, which I'm going to ask the our ride. producer. Hmm? The ride. The ride. Oh, she got it. I got gotcha. you. She I got gotcha. it without without call it, phoning a friend. The ride, which had Austin Gamblers in it. We've done, like, Phil's show, Somebody Feed Phil. This year we did – your favorite. Oh, the sharks. Shark Tank. Yeah, we did Shark Tank. So I was like, what are we talking about? What's <laughs> happening? What, what's my favorite? It is my favorite. And I did watch it this weekend. <laughs> um, it was an old episode, though, but I had missed it. <sighs> Tangent. <laughs> but so we want to have more of it. And But the thing that I'm continually, and we had Swedish death cleaning. Yep. like So we are growing in that space. But the thing that I'm continually interested in about Unscripted is both its evolution how many different like categories there are, which I have never had a real conversation with people about like, what do you refer them to? Like I refer to them as like competition, lifestyle, dating, yep. et cetera. Like what do they, docu-series, what do they see them as? But I think the evolution of Inscripted is continually fascinating to me. And now in peak TV, how many different subsects there are. The fact that there is the art of Swedish death cleaning on one side um, I am always a pick and choose my favorite housewives shows, which have been on a long time. Um, and I know we have, uh, a lot of universal studio group and, and Peacock represented, uh, for those that want to know my cutting of the cord finally last year, Ooh. my last thing was 
well, where will I watch The Housewives? So the fact that The Housewives are on Peacock is very helpful to me. Um, but I'm currently watching The Marketers on HBO. What is that? It's about telemarketing. Oh, what's not? Is it the docu? The it's three a docu series. series. Is it three parts? There's I only think, one more episode, and I'm I done. Think it's three parts. Is telemarketers. Yeah, well, it's just called. Is it called telemarketers? It's called telemarketers. I, I it was called the marketers. <laughs> called telemarketers i just started it guys i'm obviously like i watched two at once and one more is out is it only three parts and i'm gonna be done i think so either way checking it out it is unscripted mcbride produced is he produced no it's the guys who did uncut gems that produced it am i thinking of a totally different show we're doing some on the call (laughs) well this one is about like it's a really weird like it is it is definitely a documentary like and so in the unscripted space it is like a guy that worked for a very big telemarketing, like the people who founded telemarketing for police and firemen organizations, like the people who call you and are like, do you want to give $25 to the policeman's fund? And apparently a lot of people do. And it's the sort of history behind that. It's called Telemarketers and it has three episodes. And is, and it is Danny, McBride Danny McBride producing it? Because I have not seen that name. Yes. Oh my oh. God. I win on a show that I'm not watching. You do win on a show you're not watching. Also, I the members have told me. I was the say, ATX TV member shout out have kept me up. I also lose because Danny McBride would be like ATX alum Danny McBride. I just knew that the guys who directed like Uncut Gems are on it as well. Now I'm going to pay even more attention. Oh yep. my gosh. The whole Jody the whole Hill and David group. Gordon Green should pay more way more attention. Look, it was recommended to me by a friend and then it was just there and I just watched it. I also and, think I got a preview before Righteous Gemstones. Like, sometimes they'll do, like, Oh, I was like, you Max got shows. a preview? How no, did no, you get a preview? Like a preview. <laughs> Whatever you want to call McBride it. Danny McBride sent me a preview. <laughs> he did. He just texted it to me. <laughs> we're, guys, we're, we're not that like close that right yet. Now. Um, anyway, unscripted <laughs> docu-series. Circle back. Fascinating, but, like, gives you a snippet into a world versus, like, um, on this panel is David Collins, who does Scout, who's from Scout Productions, who does Queer Eye and mm-hmm. Legendary and so many things. Like, there's just such a vast nature of like, how do you approach this and what makes it interesting and what makes it maybe the difference more between something like telemarketers that is a docu, like, how am I telling this story? Which documentaries are fascinating to me anyway? How do you? pick and choose how to tell that story versus something that has contestants. Well, and like, I think there's you're forcing the story. Not forcing. You're creating a situation for the story. And when you look at the evolution, they talk about this a little bit on the panel, so I won't go too deep into it, but the fact that in the early 2000s, doing a true crime docuseries, yeah. like they do now, like a high-end yeah. um, that we see limited series was unheard of and something that people are like, why would you? It was basically taking a documentary and dividing it into four parts right. and like, who's going to air that and show that? And now that's what we have so much of. And it's really, I think that there's all those different categories you talked about, but there's also high-end premium sure. unscripted and yeah. there's candy scripted Can- I mean, it's like sell- Selling Sunset. I'm just like... Although know, Selling sure. Sunset is beautifully yeah, shot. Well, it's shot like The Hills. Like that That was like another part of the evolution was like when MTV did like yeah. Laguna Beach and The Hills. All of a sudden I was like, this is so pretty. Yes, because there's also <laughs> then beautifully shot versus lower quality well, shot just because of... It made me think reason. when you just said the true crime stuff, something I don't watch but I have friends that are obsessed with is like the ID channel. Yes, And yes. like these I like... on all the time. Yeah, there's like the true crime 
concept, but it's an episodic series of like, let me tell you about this time somebody got stuck in Thailand. <laughs> you know what's <laughs> so funny about those that I just thought of is even though I they're considered unscripted, so much writing oh, has sure. to go into those shows. Because you think, I know even for the shows where you're just following people around, they're still crafting together a story and cutting it together. Right. And there's still a lot of storytelling that goes into it. But when you look at those shows that they have narrators that mm-hmm. are leading you along or the reenactments story, or reenactments. I'm like, that's a that's lot of a lot of scripted going well, into an unscripted show. I'm pretty sure somebody told me recently in a way that like made sense to me, but like the housewives even had to stop production during the strike because of how much like, like writing is yeah. there. And that I think actually the housewives, even with somebody correct me on the internet, if I'm wrong on this, but like that they're SAG members, like, because they also do readings of line. Like, they are actors, too. Interesting, because I know unscripted stars uh-huh. um, are looking at, do we form a union? Oh, okay. Should there be an unscripted union I wonder when right they now that... join that? Like, because I do think some of them... I mean, like, for example, she's not on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills anymore when it comes back, but Lisa Renna is an actress who is also yeah. on Housewives... Harry Hamlin mm-hmm. is sometimes on Housewives. So I don't know where those lines are. It's like the Kim things Kardashian, you don't know. Now in the, the new, new American oh. Horror Story. I mean, now she's, I, mean, I don't know I, if she's been anything else, but now she's an actress. I feel like something probably. No idea. No idea. Well, as we look at today, as we talk about our fascination with Unscripted, as we have different viewing types and the festival will continue to grow with it. I love that this panel... In addition to the things we screened and had panels for that were show specific, got to happen at the festival and has such interesting, like we have on the panel, David Collins, who's an executive producer and co-founder of Scout Productions, as we mentioned, Renata Lombardo, who's the SVP of development and current unscripted programming for Scout, then Billy Corbin, who's the co-founder of Tour. What shows does he do? So he, his big one is Cocaine Cowboys. Oh. I mean, he's done a lot, but he yeah. really started this true crime yeah. docu-series, yeah. you know, beyond the the cold cases and the right. episode of the, the week, that right. sort of um, look into shows. And then Ben McGargle, SVP of development for unscripted television for E1. So representing a couple different production companies, producers that are making things, as well as... um the sort of studio side of things, which is the people buying them and eventually selling them to networks and putting them on platforms, which, again, just were such peak TV in so many different ways. Like, I actually really love that there's so much different unscripted. There, If somebody tells me they don't, I guess the difference of if you call it unscripted versus reality, but it's the same when people say like, oh, I don't watch TV, mm-hmm. is like, I bet you there's something out there for you. Yep. Whether it's high end, as you said, like docu series prestige or candy, which sometimes you just want candy. Yes, and you can enjoy all of them. You don't I even le- have to pick and choose. You got sucked into selling sunset. I did. I did. Shocking. I got sucked into the circle for a season. I do remember that. I didn't get that. That was a COVID one. watch. Still stand by at least the first season. Continue on. Love it. Um, well, with that, please enjoy this panel moderated by Sarah Petrie of the Alamo Draft House. Unscripted POV, Shaping the Story. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I dropped my notes. 
Uh-oh. Off to a terrible start. Thank you. <sighs> hey, y'all. How's it going? Everybody feeling good? No one's too tired, right? Everyone's here? Okay. Pretend like a camera is on you and just... No, just kidding. Um, I'm so happy to be here. This is really going to be fun. Like, I was thinking about this panel and my brain kind of exploded because there's so much we can talk about and delve into. Um, but I, if you guys don't mind, I, I wanted to start... If you don't mind introducing yourselves to the audience, um, and as you're introducing yourself, maybe go... maybe. I don't know how brief this can be, but how did you get into what you're doing? Like, I kind of want to start there so everyone kind of understands where everybody's coming from, and then, then we'll take it from there. So, sure. Ben, you want to start? I can start. Does this work? It, okay. You're on. You're on. You're live. Uh, so, I'm Ben McGargle. I work at E1, running unscripted development uh, from L.A., and I got in this business actually from news. So, I started in journalism news. I was, uh, I interned with Tom Brokaw, uh, wow. Today Show, Dateline. I was kind of in that realm. And then I did the NBC Page program. Oh, cool. Straight out of college, which is uh, immortalized on 30 Rock. Oh, yeah. With Kenneth the Page. <laughs> so I wore the flair, the whole thing. And, um, you know, you do rotations in that program. So I did, a, I got kind of like a poo-poo platter of the entertainment industry through that nice. program. And so I did, um, you know, marketing. I did, I worked at SNL and production. I did. What? We're going to talk later. <laughs> SNL. Okay. And uh, I did a rotation at CNBC doing uh, development. So it was kind of news meets development. And I was like, oh, this is, it, something clicked for me. And it, it was kind of this 30,000 foot view where I got to see there's someone who has a job where they get to create the concept from the very beginning. And I thought that was really creatively satisfying. And, yeah. you know, from there I was like, and news, but news felt a little buttoned up. And, you know, you can't really break the rules as much as I would like to. I mean, you probably shouldn't. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's guidelines and, and, you know, things like that. And so I got an opportunity to be an assistant in the development department at Oxygen. Bad Girls oh, Club fun. Oxygen. Not oh, well, Okay. And from there, it's kind of just been um, on the unscripted TV development track. I, I was on the network side, and then I moved over to the production company side because I wanted to actually you know, not just receive pitches, but create the shows. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been going from there. Awesome. I'm going to talk to you about the page program later, too. There's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of fun tidbits in there. Yeah. I love the range from news to Bad Girls Club. That is unscripted. <laughs> it's called range. That yeah. is us. That is our genre. Yeah, that's perfect. Pretty much. Um, um, Renata, what about you? Yeah, hi. I'm Renata Lombardo. I head up development with this guy here at Scout Productions. Um, you know, Oprah got me into Unscripted. And the, the answer to that is I was on the scripted side and Oprah said she was going to start a network. And I'm like, yes, I want to be a part of whatever that is. I used to schedule my college classes around Oprah on TV. Amazing. Um, so that's honestly the answer, which is wow. I was on the scripted side and was like, whatever Oprah's doing, I'm doing. And uh, <laughs> when I was there, I fell in love with Unscripted. I think it's sort of that thing of... Life is, you know, real people are the most compelling characters you could ever put on television. And she did that better than anyone. And so that was really my, that was the training to do unscripted TV. And so long way to uh, working with this guy, <laughs> who is the co-founder of Scout. So I'll hand it over to you, David Thanks. Collins. Thank you. David. Hi, I'm David Collins. And um, I got into unscripted, here's the drama, because of 9-11. 
so I was in scripted as well, big studio feature films in Boston, New England, and um, 9-11 happened and all the business stopped. Everything came to a screeching halt. No one was traveling anymore. And um, my partner and I, Michael Williams, and I met a filmmaker named Errol Morris, who was a documentarian, a famous documentarian, Thin Blue Line, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, thin, uh, uh, so many amazing things. And we're like, what's this doc thing? There's no script, and yet you have to make a movie. And so we, we learned doc filmmaking from Errol Morris. And at that same time that we were making a movie, um, I had a weird moment where Queer Eye revealed itself to me. Wow. And I created a little show 20 years ago this July called Queer Eye. And, uh, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't call that a little moment. Well, I'd it was a big a moment 20 moment. years ago. Yeah, but it's weird. 20 years later to be here and, and realize that that little moment in Boston, Massachusetts in 2002 uh, that happened in front of me, uh, the, the format was kind of presented to me and I went home and I had no idea what the hell reality TV was or what a format was, but I dove in and I knew one executive in the entire world. And I called her. I was like, hey, I have this idea. It's called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And she was like, what? And um, that's kind of what happened. Here we are 20 years later. That's incredible. That's incredible. All right. Last Uh, but not least. My name is Billy Corbin. I'm a uh, native Floridian and a lifelong Miamian. I am here because endlessly in search of a shittier state than the one that I live in. <laughs> ew, ew. Okay. Uh, too soon? No, too late, really, too late, for all yeah. of us. Uh, yeah, too late. So I am the co-founder of uh, last 23 years of a, a nonfiction production company called Rack and Tour based in Miami Beach. We uh, produce the uh, Cocaine Cowboys franchise. We helped start the ESPN 30 for 30 uh, series with uh, The You, The You Part 2 uh, and Broke. Um, and we most recently... Uh, produced the documentary, God Forbid, the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty, which premiered last November and is the most watched doc in the history of Hulu. Um, Yes, we somebody beat Fire Festival, finally. Um, uh, But, um, and I am in Unscripted because Miami. Uh, See, it's it's reality, you see? So um, when we did our first... uh, our first doc, uh, Sundance, we did about five or, 50 or 60 interviews in five or six days. And the last question of all of them was, now that the New York Post has anointed you the bells of the Sundance Ball, that was a real quote, um, are you going to move to L.A. or do you move to New York? And just as obvious as it was to them that we, my producing partners and I, would make that move, it was just as obvious to us that we would go back home to Miami because, well, first of all, Home is where you go when you're done with other shit. That's why they, they call it home. And, um, and then, um, you know, we, we knew that there was an incredible untapped resource of characters and stories in Miami because there's a saying I'm very fond of, which is that L.A. is where you go when you want to be somebody. New York is where you go when you are somebody. And Miami's where you go when you want to be somebody else. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it always has been and always will be uh, a sunny place for shady people. You're killing her over here. Seized, seized upon, you got him, Billy. As our genre, we have seized upon uh, our number one, our state's number one export. Which is Florida fuckery. Oh, there you go. By the way, the microphones are back, I think. Yeah, they are. I wish we had mics, but I wish we had that mic because, you know, this is being recorded. Or just pretend like it's not. That was all off the record, by the way. Off the record. Off the record. That was just for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously, 
you know, this is an incredible wealth of experience here on the stage. And, you know, some of you have been doing it longer than others. But um, I kind of want to talk about, like, how, how much has changed? Like, you know, thinking about, you were saying, I think you said Queer Eye, like, 20, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, which is wild. Because it doesn't, crazy? doesn't feel like... Does yeah. it feel like 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we were just talking. You know, I'm going to die with my tombstone, Queer Eye for the Dead guy on my, oh. on my tombstone. But yeah, 20 years has been a long time. Uh, <laughs> right? Uh, has things, have things changed? I was just going to say, what, what are, how do you guys feel about how things have evolved? I mean, Unscripted has become obviously such a huge part of, of television and entertainment, and it's obviously exciting we have people in the room who are like you know this is their favorite genre I guess like yeah how has it evolved for you especially since you guys are you know creators and you're building these things you've seen it expand so can you guys speak to kind of how you've seen the demand the audience change well, I, w- I was thinking query is kind of an interesting point of entry because I remember I was not working with David at the time when Queer Eye relaunched. And I remember reading about Queer Eye coming back, and I was a huge fan of the show originally, but I just thought, I think we're past Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Like, what is this going to be? I I was judging. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because there was an evolution happening, and we saw things happening differently. And then, truly, that's how we came back together, because I saw Queer Eye, um, the new version of the show, launch on Netflix, and I just thought... We've, they were able to figure out a way to tell stories um, in a way that felt current. And um, all of a sudden, we were knowing things about these casts that we didn't know. Like, they had partners and children and things about them they were sharing in a way that the original version never did. And I yeah. think that, in a way, sort of bookends the genre and how it's moved. Um, so that's really how I was drawn back to you all. Yeah. Because I knew if they can tell... This queer, this new version of Queer Eye, this way, I want to be a part of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. This was, we all kind of started our careers more or less 20 ish years yeah. ago. And um, it was, bless you, it was, um, this is probably the most exciting time to have had careers the last couple of, of decades. And for me, in nonfiction, um, not reality, that was not a career 23 years no. ago. That was a hobby, that, you know, really, or a gig. It was not a career. There was no, we were not going to really build a business or a studio. Specifically doc that. filmmaking. Docs, that's what yeah, doc docs. Filmmaking. And, yeah, doc filmmaking. Yeah. In, in fact, when we you did You didn't the, make money making docs. Right, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing. It just yeah. wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a business. Yeah, yeah reality TV was a business. You know, but, but docs were not a business. And so, um, you know, I'll give me an example. The first cut of Cocaine Cowboys, I'll never forget it. We cut it in like final cut. 1.5, whatever this version was. It was terrible. Um, and uh, we couldn't liberate the movie from the computer because it was so, there was so much mixed media and so many different yeah, frame rates. I remember back in the yeah, day. Yeah, the average feature has about 1,500 cuts in it. Cocaine Cowboys had 5,000 cuts in it yes. of, from all these different sources. And so it was just very unstable, the whole project. So we, we the first cut, though, I'll never forget, we were cutting it in my apartment, my, one of my producing partners and I, back-to-back with two different Final Cut Pro sets and, like, this daisy chain of hard drives. Oh. And we, and I said, I think we have our first cut. And we called our producing partner. I'll never forget. I said, um, we have the first rough cut. He goes, how long is it? I said, it's four hours. <laughs> <laughs> 
he goes, fuck you, keep cutting. Uh, and he, and he slammed, he slammed yeah. the phone down, which, by the way, in the, in the era of landlines, it was much more dramatic because you could slam a phone. Now you slam your phone down, it just cost you $1,000, you know? But, like, but back then, you could be very dramatic. You'd slam, and you'd hear a dial tone. It was very, you're like, did he just hang up on me? Now it's like, no, no, the oh, phone dropped. The, the call dropped. You know, now you make excuses. It wasn't, because now you're like, fuck you! Uh, <laughs> it's not as, not as dramatic. So, yeah. so out. So, and then we had this idea. This is 2005. I'm like, I called. Dave and I went and had drinks, and we came back and we said, called Alfred. We pitched Alfred, our producing partner. We're like, hear us out. It's four hours. Mm. I said, I don't know if it's four one hours or it's two features. I'm like, but it's for the first half is about the business. Then it's about. Uh, uh, it's the drugs, the money, and the murders. That's our three-act structure. And we introduced the hitman, and we had this whole idea about how this was going to be. And back then, you were either doing a feature doc or you were doing like a serialized, like Bill Curtis style, yeah. like a yeah. million episode format kind of show. Yeah. Yeah. This was, was going to be a four-hour doc. And so for about two or three days, we were in 2005, we're working under this new model. The guys. And Alfred finally calls and goes, listen, it's hard enough selling one feature documentary in this market. We're not going to reinvent the wheel here. There's no such thing as a true crime doc miniseries. That's hysterical. That's and a, I'm like, crazy fuck. Yeah. And so, out, so we said, let's cut it as a feature doc. We got it down to an hour and 58 minutes. And Alfred, see, we said, listen, if anybody likes it, anybody sees it, we'll have the opportunity to revisit again. And now we're on our fifth entry to the franchise. So. You were ahead of the game. Amazing. Big time. We're behind it because oh, we didn't do anything. Yeah. We, didn't, like, we weren't brave. We weren't the pioneers. We were just the, the bums who were like, we can't do it. You know? Like. <laughs> what about for you? Well, I mean, when I started, cable was king. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every cable network had this very niche uh, genre or, you know, audience. Oxygen was, you know, you know diverse women, 18 to 24. That can't that can't sustain a business model anymore because you know now we're in the world of streaming and yeah. of international audiences where you know we're putting shows where you have English speakers from all over the world coming together and they're airing in English speaking territories everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, the hubbing models that we're seeing where shows are you know uh, Latin versions are being shot in the same places that an English speaking version is, is shot yeah. two weeks beforehand. So it's just become much more international. There's so much more diversity of content and storytelling than there was yeah. 10 years ago where you had to fit a slot at 10 p.m. after a show that's working at 9 p.m. Yeah, no, that's true. And I mean, do you guys think, are there still frontiers left to be explored with this? Like, are there still Always. audiences? Yeah. Oh, yeah, not? for it's sure. Never, it's never, never, so. what, what are they? Tell me. I, I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I think I, I'm going to... I won't gonna, steal the idea. Don't worry. No, no, no. I'm just going to, you know, tout Renata and her team and our development team. I think that's what we do every day, right? When we come together for development and the idea... The cool thing about what's happened on the evolution of Scout from Errol Morris to Queer Eye to, to where we are now... Um, the, the opportunity to tell stories and create a brand of storytelling is what Scout's been able to do. And we kind of have this little filter that we use, which is transformation through information told with comedy that has heart. And that's a filter that we apply to all of our projects, whether it's a standalone doc feature, a doc series, a format, whatever it is. And by transformation, I don't mean magically you get a new dress and a new living room. It's transformation inside out, right? It's the head, the body, the mind, the soul, 
transformation at large? Are we helping better the world? Are we helping change uh, perspective and shift the dialogue? Are we handing the microphone to marginalized communities? Um, Renata is being very humble here. She came to us five years ago, three, four, eight, five years ago with an idea uh, about set in the ballroom world, the culture of ballroom, which is basically a, a trans African-American culture that was how to figure out how to celebrate themselves. And because of Renata, we created a show called Legendary. And yep. Legendary on HBO Max was there. Yes. Yay, Legendary. Keep your fine scrolls. It's going to come back. It's got to find a new home. All right. It's yep. just fingers crossed. Um, but for us, we realized that storytelling was about finding uh, the new stories to, to allow the other communities and folks who don't have the opportunity to take the microphone and have their story told um, in a cool way. So for us, that's the fun of development is diving in and we love finding partnerships. Um, a lot of celebrities now have come to us to have conversations because they're like, know if I really like script unscripted. It feels a little because you know unscripted is the red redheaded stepchild, right? It's it's the it's the thing that's like oh right you're in. But now they have no work. Now exactly. So now they're suddenly interested. <laughs> they always cut to the chase. They don't admit it, but they love it. Yeah, they don't want to admit, but they love it. So for us, uh, the creation of of finding the stories and the evolution of there's always a new rock to turn over and see what's under. That's awesome. I mean, Billy, what do you think? What's your? Do you have well, a I mean, We have a spreadsheet at, at our company of of my interesting characters and stories that will never live long enough to tell. So uh, there's never a dearth of of material. I think the question is, is of course finding the audience. Is, you know, as much as we enjoy what we do, we ultimately do it for somebody to watch it. Otherwise, what is it but a tree falling in a forest? You know, and no one's around to see it or hear it, and it doesn't make a sound. So we we do it for ultimately for an audience and and finding that audience. And so sometimes we get it right, sometimes sometimes we don't. Um, but I think that. Uh, it's it's a it's a terribly exciting time uh, because especially now because it's been a terrible market you know <laughs> so let's be honest yeah. since like last summer deal flow has not been anywhere and this sort of conventional wisdom which what I would call a common misconception that those of us in unscripted in reality somehow root for a scripted work stoppage because squeezing that water balloon blows up our is just not true it uh, not yeah true. it's just it's simply not it's simply not and and yeah. I don't and I don't I don't only speak for myself but I stand with any and all creatives who look to make a fair fucking wage and Absolutely. who create the content that we all that we all view and it does not um it does not behoove us at all that people are not working and children are not being fed that is not at all the case you know um and uh it's certainly not in my experience anyway uh for, for myself uh but i think that that with this recession because i'll use the r word because really since last summer it has been i think a recession to some extent uh in 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 our sector and everyone, everyone's sector in the industry, um, this is where the innovation comes. And this is where the, and the streamers are looking for to discover themselves and find out what their place is and where they're going to be. And I think we have to do, do the same. Um, and I was very flat. Tom Quinn, who we worked with at Magnolia, we did five films with him before he moved on and he's now at Neon. Um, you know, he, he had told, said about our company to a, a profile like Business Week or something about how like they helped to not... Um, cultivate but to but to discover for distributors this younger demo and more you know urban demo for nonfiction because Cocaine Cowboys, I don't know if you guys remember DVDs. Do you remember those, those <laughs> things? So we kind of had like that last gasp of DVD, of physical media revenue in 07 when Cocaine Cowboys came out and Randy Wells at Magnolia's uh, home video division had Best Buy merchandise it, not in the special 
interest section, which is where the History Channel World War II documentaries and Pilates videos were, but they put it in the action genre. So there with Casino Royale and Con Air and Crimson Tide was Cocaine Cowboys. So we always looked at making docs as not docs. Docs isn't a genre. Docs is a style of filmmaking, and you can make a doc in any genre. You name a genre, sci-fi, romance, action, sports, comedy, you'll make a, you can make a doc. And so we were making a gangster movie with Cocaine Cowboys. That's how we pitched it, not as a doc. And so people discussed, and so suddenly there was like, again, we didn't invent that audience. They were always there, you know, and, yeah. and, but it was just like, okay, now there's more people who are interested in this. And so it's not this idea that like nonfiction is like is, is cheaper content for, for streamers to produce, especially when there's no scripted content. There is an audience for it. There really is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you were saying earlier, like, or I don't know, two minutes ago, um, you know, you tried something, some things worked, some things didn't. I would really love to hear from all of you on, you know, if you're able to on a project that, you know, for whatever reason didn't work. Um, and like what, what maybe you learned from it, why it didn't work. Um, and you know, I mean, whatever you want to share, no one's going to tweet it. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but yeah, does anybody want to go for There's it? so many. <laughs> That's the sad part, right? I think, I, I mean, I was thinking about you guys come from having been executives right? So you know the other side of the coin. And I think that's an interesting thing when creators put their lifeblood behind something and build this thing, and then we take it out to market to sell. And they're like, oh, that's a pretty baby, but no thank you. Yeah. I'm like, that's oh, cute. that's cute, but no thank you. And it's so hard because you put the artistry and the passion and the love behind something, and you're taking it out, and you're so excited because you have this new thing, and then they're like, Oh yeah, that doesn't. To your point, that's that's not our demo. Or yeah, that's too big of a swing. Or oh, that right? That's hard. Yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, sometimes, you know, and you know this, especially running a development slate, you know, you just you need to have stuff that's in the pipeline, some stuff you're pitching, and then stuff that you're making, right? And so sometimes you gotta just feed your pipeline and see if, and you trial and error and see if something works. And sometimes a show has like an element that is strong, like for example, a. I will use no names, but major a major celebrity, you'll get access to somebody yeah. who wants to do a reality show. And you're like, it's too, you can't pass it up, right? Because it's, yeah. it's a, it, there's still a chance. It's, it's always a, you know, there's a chance that it'll sell. In today's market, any chance. But if that celebrity is not being um, authentic, if they're not being open, and, and, you're, and you work with them for months and months and months, and you yeah, still can't right. get there, the, the network, the audience, they're going to sniff that out, and it doesn't work, and it's a bummer, but you had to try yeah, yeah. Because you don't know until you do until you do it. It's the constant sort of question when you're evaluating your slate. Like you always are, like, well, who's going to buy this? Where's this going to go? And we have found that our best work comes from just doing shit that really excites us and hoping yeah. that our passion and the stories we want to tell is going to find an audience that we're you know that we're vibing with in a development room. Yeah. So. Um, I think where we, and I think it's, I see it happening on the bigger streamers where you're sort of seeing these trends and people, what are the trends? It's, it's this, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's quick competition, it's niche, it's, it's this, it's dating. Like they put all these, we can't as developers 
live in this little like bunker where we're like, okay, you tell us what's working and then we go try to make it. They don't know what they want. They don't. So instead. (laughs) That's the real secret, everyone. Right. No one knows what they want until you tell them what they want. That's right. Then they want it. You have to know what you want. Correct. Hands down. Yeah. So we have to be aware of what's working in the marketplace, certainly. But I think it really just comes down to, for us, like, would we watch this show? Yeah. Would we be excited about talking about the show and being with this family for years to come? The, whatever the, like, to your point, celebrity partners. Like, celebs are great, but if the show's, show goes on for, like, five seasons, are we, do we want to be in business with this person? And yeah. stuff will die in development. Like, you'll oh, start yeah. to work, you'll, you'll, you'll say, okay, and let's that, do a deal, and then you're, you're, you're getting into it, and you're like, uh, and you, you abandon ship. Yeah. 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 That's right. Billy, do you have one? Do you have any failures? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, no, none you're of us are like, absolutely not. There's like, there's like three times that there's the, the project that you package and you're passionate about and that, that don't go anywhere. In our case, there's interview subjects, potential interviews that die before you get to tell the story. So that, you know, that ship kind of sailed. Um, and the worst kind of failure, the ones we made uh, that we actually, that actually got produced that people saw and you're like, oh shit, that's embarrassing. You know, um, some of them did do very well. Um, and, and docs are like, are like children. We have our favorites, but we just don't tell anyone which one yeah. they are, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, one of the, And it's very, it comes from a very privileged place for me to be able to say this, that like, you know, if there's something that we really know will work, we can, we will continue to push it or we'll do another project while we sort of back burner that, but always kind of bring it back. Because now we're not just the sort of pitching an idea. Now we're in production, you know, we're self-financing development. And so we get yeah. things further. We, we've got the hero interview in the can. So yeah. if God forbid something should happen to them, we can still produce uh, if and when it sells. Um, so it get, it's, it's a little bit different. But again, that comes from a place where we have a company and we have a development money and we have the ability to do that. But let me just tell, I mean, nobody bought Cooking Cowboys. I mean, that's how Cooking Cowboys yeah. happened. Yeah. Nobody Got it. Nobody yeah. understood it. Mm-hmm. And so we just said, okay, we need to just go out and make it. And that was tougher in 2004 than it is now yeah. and more expensive. And so, um, but like, if, if there's just something that, that you know is going to, because again, it's like the Supreme Court's definition of obscenity. We don't know it, but we know it when we see it. And like, that's buyers. <laughs> you know, like, we know, they're like, just bring us a hit. And we're like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, which is like, you know, so, but they know it when they see it. So you have to tell them what they want. I, I, I have a quick little Queer Eye story. So from the beginning of the original Queer Eye, 2003, to around 2008, 9, uh, it ended in, in 2008 after 160 episodes. But through those whole those years, every time we went into a pitch, oh my God, do you have a Queer Eye for us? Did you bring us a queer eye? Do you have a queer eye? He said, oh my God, you're bringing us a queer eye, right? And I'm like, yeah, no, but we have this, and it's amazing, and it's a big swing, and it's so out of the box. I'm like, oh, wow, that's really scary. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but it's a fucking great idea. So then uh, flash forward to, to 2016-ish, and um, all the rights came back to me on Queer Eye. Ooh. And I'm like, hey. And so we go back out in the market. I'm like, hey, guess what? I have Queer Eye now. I'm like, I got a Queer Eye. And like, oh, Queer Eye. That's so bravo. 
And, and that moment happened where I'm like, wait a second, you've been fucking asking me for 10 years to bring you Queer Eye. And now I bring you Queer Eye? And you're like, oh yeah, we love that show, but it's too associated with Bravo. And that's when we were the first unscripted series on Netflix in 2018. We were an acquisition, so we weren't an original, but we came out as their first original document or uh, uh, series, unscripted series, structured reality. And um, it's because they didn't give a shit who Bravo was. They, they didn't care. They're like, yep, we're Netflix. And they put it on. And that was the, the little switch that happened for us as a company was that we realized, oh, okay, how we tell our stories and how we find these. And our doc division kicked back in. We had started with Errol Morris. Like we were real old started school. Started at the bottom. We were, <laughs> we were old school doc filmmakers. So then all of a sudden we're like, oh, now to, to, to Billy's point, the way that these four-part doc series happen, you know, we have the Hillsong doc that just came out or the Mer People doc that just came out. Completely different worlds, yeah. right? Completely different worlds. Um, and yet kind of all coming out of the same pipeline and the same creative brain trust at yeah. Scout. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, speaking of that, obviously there's, and you were saying this a little bit earlier, but like with streaming, there's so many more platforms, there's so many more opportunities for people to be able to like see the content. And now it's like, well, how, how do you stand out? Because there's so much and it's awesome, but like, you know, and I, I know you guys aren't necessarily like, you know, the head of marketing or whatever, but like in your mind as, as creators and, and storytellers, like how, how do you think these shows um, or these stories can stand out when there's so much to choose from for people? You nailed it though. It's marketing. It's, yeah. it's, we, we kind of start with a marketing lens almost now to think like, oh, can I see the poster? Oh, can I see how the network's going to promote the series and, and, and get it out there? Um, I'm sorry, I'm over talking. You guys can kick yeah. in, dive in. I think the tile. Yeah, it's yeah. about the tile it now. The tile it is. And the title. Hands yeah. down. The, that alone is like half the battle. That's what I was going to say. Totally. So the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning. What the hell, right? <laughs> like, what the hell? But that little title was exciting, and it and, yeah. and it got buzz going, and people started a conversation around For the title. For those that don't know, that's our new series on Peacock. Please watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, yeah, I mean. But it was a title that we were like, that's cool. Let's see. And then we have to make shows that we are, that are, we think are great. So, like, a title will grab someone, but what's going to make you click past the first episode unless right. you're making a show that grabs somebody, whether it's making you cry or judge or laugh or feel seen or it's... That's the thing. It's like... I, I, and it sounds sort of like romanticizing of what we do, but if the show's not good, it doesn't... Yeah. Like, all of that doesn't really matter. Yeah, you got to get them in the door and then you got to keep them, which is even harder. Yeah, that's right. right. But, like, for example, Title, we had a show at E1, very controversial show called Milf Manor that premiered earlier this oh, year. Oh, yes. I, I think and some of us have heard of it. Yep. Yes. Dilf Manor. Milf Manor. Milf. Oh, oh wait, David. Hey, hold on. <laughs> Let's talk after. All right, all right. <laughs> it's, it's Milf Manor, but Scout. But Scout, exactly. Thank you, Billy. <laughs> and 
you know, the outrage Twitter can can kick up a lot of people to come watch yeah. the premiere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. then we had to really tease out these intergenerational relationships and the cringe yep. and 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 keep people for ten episodes. It's not that easy. It's not. And so no. a lot of uh, people might not think of, it, but a lot of storytelling went into kind of parsing out those reveals those moments, those dynamics, and getting to know these women on a deeper level over time that you actually care about them. It makes so much sense now that you were in the page program at NBC and you helped make a show that was inspired by a 30 30 Rock parody. I mean, it it makes so much sense now. It all connects. That's just unbelievable. (laughs) Was it Milf Island, wasn't it? Was that the the 30 Rock? The 30 Rock. No, you're right. Yeah. What a a time to be alive. There's part part of this that sounds terribly cynical, and it kind of is, because if anybody was starting out in this business, now I would tell them don't um, you know uh, you know we had the because adv- we had the advantage of not just the experience but we have brand like the queer people know they, they might not know Scout but they know you're the queer eye guy yeah, yeah, they might yeah. not know Raconteur but they know oh Cocaine, Cocaine Cowboys or the Miami guys yeah, right? yeah. Like, and, and now it's very difficult to be heard over the noise right. it really, to establish yourself it's or important. distinguish yourself it's really really hard so I, 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 I don't begrudge anyone's finding the challenge to be particularly or uniquely grueling now. And also, I find it particularly frustrating that, you know, we started out as indie filmmakers, yeah. which is great because we were in our 20s and we didn't have families and mortgages and, it, you know, the, the stakes were much lower. Um, now, this is a business which is, on the one hand, good. On the other hand, we're talking to agents. People are packaging there are attachments. The documentary world feature and mini and, and, and premium miniseries like are being treated like the quote unquote movie business. And on the one hand, it was good because the budgets come up. On the other hand, it's annoying because it's like, well, that's not really what it is that we not do, but did. And now it's what we do. So to a certain extent, there's a frustration. Great, great the marketing, the, the packaging of a doc. We never packaged yeah. a doc before. It's like we're three schmucks with a good story and yep. some access to some interesting people. Can we go make it? And like that was it. Now it's just like, well, who's he peeing? And we're, we're, co- we're co-producing docs with Adam McKay, with uh, Seven Bucks, with DJ, uh, with The Rocks Company, you know, with, with uh, Bruckheimer Television, with, which is very cool. But like in a weird way, it's almost a necessity now, yeah. like yep. th- this package and, and the, yeah. c- the celebrity attachments and, you know, which, which well, the reason it's frustrating is because the barrier to entry now, despite the proliferation of this content and the number of buyers, the barrier to entry feels so much higher. That, ding, that, you ding, know, ding, 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 Because nobody ding, can just call agreed. up The Rock and go, well, you produce a, 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 do- a doc with, with, with me, you know? No, and, ahead, well, I was just going to say that you're, that was amazing because it's exactly the truth. And we almost, we joke internally, we almost could have our own like celebrity section because <laughs> we have like the celebrity connected projects that are, are what, you know, you can take out. They're, they're part of the deal, right? Mm-hmm. They take you out. But the journey, like you said, is, it's, it's brilliant. We started out as indie filmmakers ourselves. So it's, it's, a, it's been a long journey to become the brand and become the... And you have E1 behind you, which is a big mammoth conjumbo-bumbo, okay. right? So it's a whole different world over there for you because yeah. you have the and corporate we, structure. We, we have access to... We have a scripted division and right. that we're an ecosystem. And when you... Back to what you said where we don't want... We don't... Uh, Root for the scripted industry to have a downfall because it's an ecosystem, and if they're totally. they're not thriving, we're not thriving, and vice versa. And so, we have some incredible talent overalls, like with Kiki Palmer or Viello Davis's company, and 
scripted works up with them, and so does the unscripted division, and we, we kind of mutually benefit. And then also we have access to the Hasbro IP because we're owned by Hasbro currently. Right. And, currently. Uh, oh, okay. And, you know, we've been able to make some... Mr. Business. Okay. We've been able to, you know, mine that IP, reinvent that IP that's been around for 75 years. And so, you know, you got to have, have... We have access to so many different talent and IP and also the reputation that we've built as producers doing ensemble docu-series like growing up hip-hop and, and right. networks trust us to in that genre the way they trust you know these guys to do what they do you know so yeah well I mean speaking of you know the barrier to entry obviously that you know that's that's a challenge for probably a lot of different projects but how do you all like in your role how do you help people that are trying to come up and have a voice, like how do you help them, or are you able to um, kind of overcome some of those barriers? Well, if someone has a great idea, we bring them in, we give them credit, we give them a percentage mm -hmm. of our, you know, EP fee sometimes, or, yeah. and, then, and then we package, we package them with the right people to actually sell it, you know? Like we, yeah. we wanna find those new creators or talent. Like we have this show coming out called Royal Rules of Ohio on, uh, Hulu coming out, and it is completely unknown talent, which is really difficult to do nowadays, harder yeah. than it used to be. And we plucked them kind of from obscurity because we were looking for sort of a real life coming to America. Uh, oh, cool. And they are African royals, these three sisters who have parents with lineage to in Ghana to their tribes, uh, the royal families. And so they have one foot in America, one foot in Ghana, and how do they navigate that? And we were able to kind of talent like that works because we've done shows in that vein before. Right. And we were able to kind of uplift that. Yeah, you can their set story. them up yeah. for success. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What about y'all? Well, I think on, um, I mean, on a staffing perspective, it's something that we talk about all the time. I think it's amazing. Yes, you do. And it's sort of interesting because I feel like if you guys were like, I have a great show, I f immediately feel like I need to tell you like, hold on, like get an age, like protect yourself a little bit because not everybody is going to have that mindset. So there still is sort of the, business ecosystem that is something that needs to be navigated. Um, it's for sure. Undeniably so, yes. Um, but we, you know, on shows like Legendary or The Hype, it's all about staffing the right people. And you also have to find network partners that are going to put money behind that. So, you know, we're working with various networks. NBCU is doing this now with a launch program, and we are going to support that, which is young people coming up in the business, whether you want to be a DP or a producer or an editor, and letting them really shadow people that are doing the jobs that they want to do and creating space for that. Because without those opportunities, um, you know, it's, there's never going to be the door that's open for them. So, or there could be, but it's going to be a long road. So like, get in, you're shadowing, you're learning, you're learning the role and getting paid for it. Because that's the other yeah. thing is the whole game of like working for free and that that's, Nope. Yeah. We're, nope. We're not doing that anymore. We're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Anything real? Um, we're a little old school at our company because we have a brand, we have a studio, we have seven projects that we're currently in, in production and post, but I direct all of them. And that's a problem. Uh, and for a lot, for myriad reasons. But so my 2021 New Year's resolution was that we would produce something that I'm not directing. In 2022, we did that. And my 2023 resolution was to sell it. Good year, I picked. But, um, <laughs> but we will. We will. And, you know, and there, was this, there was a young woman who worked for us as a line producer. And, you, and, and, and she's on the John Leguizamo show now, actually. And I was just like, and I'm like, 
we had this, like, we, she and I kind of came up with this idea. I'm like, will you make it? She's like, yeah, I'm like, we'll produce it. You direct it. And so in Miami, especially, there's a lot more <laughs> diversity of opinion and voices uh, than ours. And, and, and we, we think that that's, uh, that that representation is important and that those stories and perspectives are important. And that's, so this is our first big, like it's, and that's for us. We're a little, we're a boutique operation, you know? So yeah, it's, it's a big first step for us. Are you but, independently owned? Are yeah. You, you're 100% yeah, independently absolutely. owned. Yeah. yeah, we are too. Yeah. And we're so, kind of one of the last bastions of being yeah. independently owned and not owned by one of the conglomerates or one of the larger production entities, uh, which is a whole thing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's It's a big step for us. For, you know, it's like sort of, the, it's a big step for us, but a small step for where the industry needs to go. But 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 we're committed to it, and 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 that's the most important thing is that we now identify stories uh, that we are interested in, but that I should not direct. And not right. just because I don't have time to do it, or this, but I shouldn't do it. Right. There are more interest. There are better people, more qualified storytellers yeah. whose perspectives matter more than mine ever would on a particular project. And so, while we know a buyer might buy it because I'm directing it, we're saying like, no. We're co-signing. We're producing for this buyer, and we're, you know, we're doing what McKay did for us, and what other you know, producers have done for us, and mentoring and saying, no, no, trust these guys; they'll they'll deliver. Yeah, Renata, you saying like, you know, if you guys have stories, um, how often do, do you? I mean, pitch line starts. No, 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 no. no. Um, how often do you guys have like friends or family members who are like, you know what, you should do. <laughs> Here's a genius idea. Does this happen all the, every yes. day? Uh, all the time. <laughs> and the you know time. what's worse for her? All the emails I forward her yeah. that I'm like, oh yeah, here, yeah, talk but, to the, talk to her, talk to her. Circle though, because out of 50 emails, there'll be one where some young filmmaker sends something they cut together, and all of a sudden we're like we should take a meeting. This idea isn't going to work, but like maybe they can be an editor on a sizzle or maybe we can put them on a show. And so that's the beauty of being a small shop um, like Scout, which is, I was going to say mom and pop, but pop and pop shop. Um, we're kind of, we're pretty, we're pretty gay over at Scout. Um, we can do that. We can do that, especially in the early phases. So that that's still where, uh, and, and because... That still like gives us who kind of get jaded and tired at times, like that energy, that young or excited energy, like we kind of feed off of that. So we love if we can have an opportunity to give somebody, sure. you know, a gig that way. Sure. Let me give you an idea what it's like to be the director of Cocaine Cowboys and living in Miami. Wow. All right. This is this is how this goes all the time. So I kind of enjoyed the pandemic because I didn't go anywhere. Right. So um, so you'd be like, they go like, hey, are you Billy Corbin? And I go, are you a process server? And they go, no. And I go, then yes. And then they go, bro, like, cocaine cowboys? Like, you got to talk to my uncle, bro, because he knows the whole story, bro. He knows, the real, <laughs> like, you're my tío, my cousin. Or and, like, this happens all the time. And so, like, you, you hear just all of these crazy stories in Miami all the time, everywhere you go. And it's actually kind of wonderful. You know, people always go, like, you're probably tired of hearing this. This is the premise. And I go like, are you going to say like, you love my work or you love the you or you, and yeah, I'm like, why would I ever get tired of hearing? Like what a wonderful, <laughs> what a wonderful thing to be interrupted to be here that like you like 
what I do, you know, where you appreciate it. But like, I get the, and people always have the best idea ever for totally. a documentary. Yes. But by the way, they may, that's the thing. So that's the thing, you, thought, you can't just like dismiss anyone outright. Cause like, sometimes they're really, really good ideas. So it's just like, oh shit, I, I'm like, I'm my wife, like, excuse me, I gotta hear this pitch right here in the restaurant, <laughs> you know? You just never know. Cause it might be, might be they might have the best idea ever. I mean, I don't know if you guys can share this, but I mean, can you think of a, an experience where that happened? Where you were, you know, whether it was an email or random person approaching you on the street where all of a sudden you were like, huh, okay, and it actually led to something? If, I mean, not to put you on the spot, but... Yeah. I was going to tell the Kristen story. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I mean... Sure. Kristen freaking Stewart calls us up um, with her best friend, who uh, it was just her best friend. He's uh, is a hairdresser at CJ, and they're like, "So we got really drunk at brunch yesterday, and while we were at brunch, really drunk, we said like." why isn't there a cool, like, paranormal, gay paranormal show? Like, you know, gay Scooby-Doo. And that's what they came to us with, gay Scooby-Doo. And, and it was born out of a drunken brunch with a bunch of friends hanging out. Like all the best ideas. Like We're in post on the show now. We are way. in post on the show. Uh, by the way, drunk brunch pitch is a good show It's a good too, show. By the way. It's just drunk people, brunch. Drunk, bottomless mimosas pitching reality. That's it. Well, in that instance, I suppose one of his best friends was Kristen Stewart, and that helped, but... She, but she saw that he had a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her and best she friend's was like, idea. I'm gonna call W. Me. I mean, we thought we were kind of thought it was a joke at first. We're yeah. Like, What's happening? Kristen Stewart's like, <laughs> but we say yes because yeah. that's what we do. And it um, was that was a fun idea though, right? Because the idea yeah. was like, oh, gay Scooby Doo, get it? Like you got it instantly. And we but also the really advantage, even more so than the friendship, though, was that you have a brand that like they're like, oh, I know the perfect. She has a lot of friends, but right. she knew the perfect person to, to take that to and make it happen. To that end, uh, my producing partner Alfred Spellman has a a joke uh, born born from the truth that um, in Florida, when you get released from prison, your first call is to your mother, and your second call is to us to make a documentary about you. <laughs> and so. And so we have a lot of those great docs that come to us because people, they're out of witness protection program. I got a MySpace message from a woman out of witness protection program 14 years ago. That became Cocaine Cowboys, the Kings of Miami on Netflix, which premiered in in, in 21. Um, You know, uh, A-Rod called um, while he was in the midst of arbitration in the... um, in, the, in, in his Major League Baseball's, uh, you know, pending suspension. And he took us to lunch to pitch us a documentary that he never intended to make, but wanted to be seen at lunch with us so his publicist could leak it to page six that Amazing. he's shopping around a tell-all documentary. But, but he didn't. And then we heard from two other people in that scandal independently reached out to us. And I'm not a big believer in, like, you know, the universe trying to tell me something, but when three, the three people, key people in a scandal reach out to you independent of each other, <laughs> someone is trying to, to tell you something. And now, incredibly, we made this doc, it's called Screwball, um, and uh, uh, we made this, and now A-Rod is out pitching his own doc, and I'm like, well, I don't have to sit and listen to A-Rod lie to me for 10 hours. I'm not his wife, you know? Like, what do I need? Like, what do I, like, what? 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 Talk to J-Lo. Don't all, I'm on team J-Lo. Get out of here. J-Lo, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. I love it. 
You had me for a second because you're like, this woman MySpaced me. And I was like, and you're like, 14 years ago. I was like, okay. Oh, yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm not what? still on MySpace. MySpace? Yeah, Tom, Tom and I are like this. Uh, a lost civilization. <laughs> like, oh, what? Um, ben, did you have any, you know, like crazy discoveries? I had a guy, I had a guy call me up and I didn't know who he was. And he said, I have access to, I'm best friends with the lawyer for this woman named Carolyn Warmus, who was the fatal attraction murderer back in 1988. And I was barely born in 1988, and I was like, who is that? And <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and, and, and I, but I kind of was like intrigued, so we took the meeting, and we ended up uh, doing a doc called The Fatal Attraction Murder on Peacock, which is a three-part about her getting out of prison, and still proclaiming her innocence because uh, with the DA reopening uh, testing on some of the mm. evidence. And uh, we did sort of first person, I interviewed her directly. Oh, wow. And it turned into a very kind of a tense and anxiety-ridden two years of my life. Oh, my God. Um, wow. That, a, that is not what I thought you were, okay, and, wow. And, you know, but it, it was a great talk, and I'm really proud of it. And it was, it was uh, something I don't necessarily want to do ever again, but no. uh, <laughs> I did it, you know. And you lived to tell the tale. So far. Is <laughs> so everyone, okay. You recognize anyone in here? Okay. Um... All right, well, I think we have time for questions, so anybody have a... Yes. Um, you know, I grew up in the era of MTV where, like, posts and stuff got to kind of come through a lot of the unscripted pipeline, but, it, like, to your point of packages that have to occur, is there still space for, like, producers who are like, I found the talent and they should be on their TVs and you just don't know it yet, mm. but they're not a TikTok star because maybe they're not... 21 anymore. Like, what does that space look like now for, for producers kind of bring those Can you clarify what you mean by host? Do you mean, like, expert or just... I mean, like, travel shows that right. like discovering our next Anthony Bourdain. Like, mm -hmm. that is such a huge void in the industry right now. Like, yes. You're finding those people, like, but you're bringing them, they're like, well, they don't have a million Instagram followers, but it's like, neither did Tony Bourdain when he was like, you know, right. how do you bring those a tough yeah. one. It's hard. It is. I, I know. Well, did you see we all made the same face? Because um, it's tough. Yeah. It's like, this is a great idea, but, but. are they? Who's your host? What celebrity do you attached? Yeah, if there's a talent that's super compelling, I think the discovering of the Anthony Bourdain's are harder right now um, to all the things we were talking about earlier, just buyers being nervous and needing some element that they can go upstairs and say, oh, but this person's attached or it's the, you know, they need something. So it's just like a total unknown. It's hard. Yeah. And even Bourdain probably wouldn't have gotten a show if he didn't have a bestseller, right? right. And if, and if you, know. you noticed, there was a, a very big push. There was the uh, Eugene Levy world who was trying to do that. And then there was also, what's his name in Italy on CNN? Stanley, Stanley Tucci, yeah. right? So they were trying to create and develop that. I, I think the blurb on this panel was a lot of the, the various things, the cyclicalness of the nature of this business, right? I, I think we can all, maybe not you as much, but tell you like, in the past six months, in every freaking streamer and buyer was like, dating, dating, dating. We need a dating. What's the next dating? We need the next, uh, love is real, love is blind, love is this, love is that, this, dating, dating, dating. And now guess what? No one wants to even look at you if you walk in with a dating idea. And by the way, we have some really fucking amazing dating <laughs> ideas right now that are not sellable. They're not even kind of, like, you gotta just tuck them away, 
put them aside because ain't nobody buying dating right now, right? And that's just kind of the way the business works. It's this mad rush towards one thing. Everyone gets satisfied and then you're kind of left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you would totally. agree with that. Which yeah. is why you can't follow those trends like you were saying. Yeah. Like, it's like it could be you're chasing your tail and you're... The you, trend's already left the game. you'll win, but usually you don't win. I, I joke about the zeitgeist, right? Like, you have to be ahead of the zeitgeist because the, once the zeitgeist comes, you're screwed. It's already out there. And, you know, if you, my true understanding of the zeitgeist is once it's there, every, it's out there for everyone to grab into the ether and pull it into their world. Yeah. I would say it would be helpful if they commit a crime, <laughs> uh, first of all. Um, the, the, right. But the second thing is, is because it, it, it's, listen, it's, it's, it's not pessimistic. I think it's realistic and, and, it, and, it's, and it's shitty to hear. Um, but I would say this the, uh, about the barriers to entry that I was talking about before. There's also a lot of opportunities. So, and I know you're saying they're of a particular age, whoever it is that you have in mind or whoever hypothetically you have in mind. Um, but I wouldn't belittle the social media. In the case of Bourdain, he was a best-selling author. So there was, that, which is a pretty significant barrier to entry, particularly in the era in which yeah. he was a best-selling author. So what I'm saying is, though, there are opportunities, though, for people to distinguish themselves from the palm of their hand, you know? So, so, so despite the barrier for entry being so high to make a sale, there are people who can get the time of day just because from the comfort of their bedroom, they, got, they get, garnered this huge following and this in huge art. more than ever right art, now. Absolutely. Which is what's right. kind of... Yeah. I was going to say, like, if there is a talent, they should start build a brand. Like, right. think about what other opportunities, other platforms, a podcast... Um, start, you know, uh, building their social following, have them start working on a publication or whatever their expertise is. So they just start having them build something so that they can build an infrastructure around so that a year from now, two years from now, when you have the show and they're really, really ready, we can all package something up together and go and say, look, they have this successful podcast. They have this huge following. They have a unique point of view. Like it's, we need to be able to point to something about and it, them. And you don't have to be 21 to create a huge following on social media. <laughs> yeah, right. You can be any age, and people blow That's up great point and, really quick. Yeah, and incidentally, those celebrity packages are not just celebrities. They're talent, and they often bring something to the table. And, and so, so what you're talking about is talent. So, and, and, and to be fair, the talent doesn't have to be The Rock or McKay or Brooke Carmichael. It can be. You know, there are people who are wildly famous who I've never heard of. That was not a thing when I was a kid. Like, Correct. if someone was famous, we all knew. It. Yeah. If a movie made a billion dollars, we all knew what that movie was. Yeah. Now there's so many silos that there are, there is room for people like that to distinguish themselves and then come to market as like, yeah, it's not The Rock, but it's this person with, you know, with this following and this expertise and talent. Yeah. There's Great a question, shift, I think, happening. One last point on that is that the, for a long time, the buyer's like, eh, TikTok talent doesn't translate, right? And the truth of the matter is that's shifting now. People are like, oh, they're really funny and they have a great story. Can I you know, kind of excavate them out of the TikTokness and give them a, a new platform? Mm-hmm. It's opportunity. Absolutely. TikTok-ness. Yeah. Yes. TikTokness. First thing you offer this incredible fountain of joy. Oh. Um, what is the best pitch you've ever heard or given and what made it great? Oh. Ooh. I feel like all our answers are going to be like self-serving. Like, well, our pitch was <laughs> amazing. We, we have a fun moment. We had a ho- we had a Hollywood moment yeah, happen. That's true. That's this, what I uh, thought of immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a big Hollywood moment. So HBO Max had just launched, um, and uh, we happened to have one of those moments where the timing was right, and literally all four heads of the network were in the room. And Michael and Rob and I uh, walked into this room and 
we, it was really a general. It was couched as a general. And we sat down in the room and they're like, yes, we're starting to, what do you got? And everyone got kind of nervous. Right? Like, well, we, we actually just brought our slate and we popped up our slate and it went up onto the big screen. And we started at the top and I just started rambling. I'm like, so we got this. And this is it's legendary. And, this, and then we got this thing called hype. And the hype is going to happen over here. And then we got this thing called equal. It equals a four-part doc. It's about the gay sister. And the president at the time looked at me and said, okay, so do I buy you the company or the slate? And it was dead serious. Wow. And we were like, ah. Uh, and the agent knew best. We like, yeah, so listen, we're going to get out of the room now. Now it's time to go. And, um, and they bought three things in one pitch at wow. one moment. That's epic. That and it so was, it just does not happen. And it was, um, it was a thank you. It was a moment of all moments because we got to become partners after that because she had brought us Legendary and we had, we'll quietly tell it, we had developed it at another network. And it's a fun little story. It wasn't going. It wasn't happening. And uh, when we showed it at HBO Max, we didn't have the right to show it. And we showed it anyways. And the head of of HBO Max, the woman, uh, Sarah Aubrey, said, no, 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 no. That's mine. I want that. And she said, call me. The day it is in, we got the rights back on a Friday night. We emailed her Saturday morning. We had a deal Monday morning. Incredible. I, I first I want to say thank you. I've never been accused of being or being a part of a fountain of joy before. So, I, <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for that. If we, if we don't all get fountain of joy t-shirts, I don't know what we're even doing here. Um, so she's a, my wife's a fountain of joy. I'm, I'm not. Um, yeah, I'm kind of like one of those dry rotting fountains where they're like, why don't they ever get the money to fix this thing? You know, um, so it could be, could be lovely, right? Um, uh, so, but I, I, I want to tell a story so bad, and I can't. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up a, a company. We're going to call it Widget. Um, so Widget is a major duty buyer. I'm not going to tell you what kind of, it was a streamer or whatever. It's a major duty buyer, Widget. And we sent the Widget executives uh, a sizzle and I think maybe a deck. And... Um, this is during the pandemic, so we're, we're populating a Zoom, you know, like Brady Bunch style, the, the, the boxes start to pop up, everybody's slowly populating. So I find myself on, in the Zoom, waiting for everybody else from Widget to join us. And um, it's just like, it's me, my producing partners, and then like the head of Widget. Not the head of nonfiction or unscripted, the head of all of Widget is on this pitch call for some reason. And so, but it's like just the four of us. And so, um, and so he goes, I just want to tell you that everybody always asks me, what is a widget documentary? And he said, I'm never able to answer the question. He said, but now I will show them this sizzle because it's the best sizzle, not only that I've ever seen, but it is a widget documentary. So while he's saying, we haven't said a fucking word yet. So forget the pitch going well. We haven't yeah. started the pitch. While this is happening, his other executives are populating from nonfiction. And, from, and so I can see them sort of look shocked because like, like oh, we haven't even started. Fine. So, and, and, and I said, widget president, I said, I would love 
to play poker with you sometime because you're the worst fucking poker <laughs> player I've ever seen. He like showed his whole hand before the pitch even started. And then the executive laughed and was like, seriously, dude, keep some powder dry. You know, like, what are you doing? And uh, needless to say, we got, we got, we, we, we did that, we did that deal. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, Ben, did you have anything before we... I can't talk the scout story. I mean, I should have had y'all go last. I'm going to pass on this one. That's fine. That's fine. Um, By the way, I only sold one doc in that meeting, though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's sort of pathetic, but whatever. Man, y'all, I'm so bummed. We have to wrap this up. Fountain of joy. The fountain of joy. Can we do like a quick lightning round? And I'm sorry to do this to you, put you on the spot. Um, What is... What's your favorite unscripted? And it can't be something you have made or been a part of. Think about it for a second. I know, hold on. We have like, you know, a minute. So we Vanderpump Rules. Ooh. Oh, he knows stuff, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I'm in. It's right, I mean, of all time is hard, but I would say right now, um, the ultimatum. Queer Ooh. season's really good. And um, love on the spectrum. Ooh. Oh, you Love on the Spectrum just it it got me, all of them, the original and the new one on on Netflix. It's um, I think it's beautiful, authentic storytelling and and it's raw and real and I I don't know it, it gets me, yeah. A jury duty. Come on, everyone's watching <laughs> Can jury you clean duty. That one? I think so. Oh my god, jury duty is so freaking smart it and is. cool, right? It is. I love jury duty. Yeah, I'm gonna say we're here. Yeah. Uh, mostly because fuck Florida. That's why. Yeah. 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 You have a real love-hate relationship with that state, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's an abusive... Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, someone There's something wrote, going on. So, what, so, someone wrote, like, it's, it's, uh, it's clear that Bill, uh, Billy loves Miami. It's not entirely certain if he likes it uh, very right. much. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you all for being such fountains of joy. <laughs> thank, thank you, Thank you Sarah. all for being fountains of joy. Thanks, everybody. And thanks for coming to the festival. And thank you guys for coming to the festival. This was a blast. Thanks, y'all. You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarlane, and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas, between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com. <laughs>